Our Parent Podcast. We're going to have Anne Celeste talking about triggers. Welcome to the Star Parent Podcast today. We have Anne Celeste and Lorraine. It is a cold, cold day here in Montreal. <laughs> but thankfully it was sunny. I don't know if you got out to be in the sun today. And yeah, I had I had sun shining from the outside inside. And that was good enough <laughs> for me. <laughs> I was out early doing groceries and Theodore was here with Sparrow. And so I was driving them home. I guess Theodore was taking Sparrow for the night. And I had a mom win today. It was so funny because I had... It's my birthday weekend. So I went to the SAQ after doing groceries to pick up a little bubbly for the weekend. And I didn't know that you had to have your passports for the SAQ. And I didn't bring anything with me. So I was like, oh, goodness. So when I went to pick up Theodore and Sparrow to bring him home, I was like, Theodore, can you just go to the SAQ? Because you have your passport and buy me this. And I was like, this is such a mom win. I'm getting my 30-year-old to buy me alcohol. This is like... (laughs) so funny I was like yeah one of the benefits of having a a child at 15 they can buy you alcohol when they get older (laughs) yeah so um so today we are going to talk about you know the triggers that emotional physical mental response that we have when something inside of us is not aligned with what's going outside of us and it happens all the time and there's different responses that we have and some of the responses that we've learned for from very very young and we bring them up to when we're adults and completely unaware that it's happening so today we just wanted to talk about you know what a trigger is and some of the coping strategies that people have and just kind of have that organic conversation about how how we process information throughout throughout our bodies are you on board for that and that sounds great yeah yeah, it's a challenging cool. topic, and I think it also brings people together because it's uh, it's an it's almost like our animal response to what's happening as well. You know, it's not always something that we consciously think of. It's a real um, a part of our brain gets lit up when we respond to it. When you when you mean like a trigger, you mean? Yeah, exactly. It's not always a learned behavior. Sometimes it's our they call it a, a lizard brain. You go into mm-hmm. your lizard brain. And so it's like a, the reptilian response. Yep. Yes. Yes. I've heard about that. Um, okay. So um, my question, because yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that even with Sparrow, actually, some of his responses are like, I'll give you an example. I was on a, having a conversation with my dad the other day and things were getting a little bit, you know, loud and heated because we're both expressing ourselves and for Sparrow, I noticed when that energy comes close to him, he wants to be close to me right away. He wants me to pick him up. He wants me to hold him. And then he wants to talk over me to, to bring down that level of energy. So he'll be like, la, la, la. Or he, he'll sing a song or he'll put his hand on my mouth. Mm. And, I, and I feel like that's his way of like, this is, this is too much. And so right. I take that as a to, to lower my voice, to speak slower, mm-hmm. and to listen. Right, right. And to see if there's a stimuli that you're giving him that you can reduce 
the volume or the speed or the intensity. Yes, yes. Because I tend to pace when I'm talking, especially when I'm in my in my zone and walking around. It's like he's chasing after me. He just wants me to sit still. <laughs> he just wants me to be still. So I, I've taken his cues. And then I've also now decided not to have these type of, types of conversations when he's around just because I can see that he's his his need at that time is to be close to me. And my need during these times is to be free so that I can speak freely. So in order to get both of our needs met, I have to make different different choices. Otherwise, I'm like that. I feel like that parent who's got their child stuck to their leg and they're just like shaking them off, like, get off of me, you know? <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't obviously don't want to do that. So for me, when I was a child, uh, one of the coping strategies that I had um, when I was triggered was to isolate myself, to go somewhere where I could be by myself and lick my wounds and then come out as if nothing had happened. We're back again. Oh my goodness, technical difficulties. While I was waiting for you to sign back on, I don't know if I told you this, but I've recently gotten back into drawing with pastels. I love pastels. It's like crayons for adults. And um, I've noticed that when I'm in a very stressed situation, like this situation now where we're just trying to get back on and technical difficulties, just picking up a, uh, um, a pastel and working on a piece that I'm working on right now, it just soothes me. Mm. It just brings me to this calm moment of everything's going to be okay. Let me just add a little shadow over here. I'm going to rub this in. I feel like a little Bob, Bob Ross moment comes over <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Bob Ross yeah. is, is a soothing talk about things that help soothe us in those stressful moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was sharing with you earlier, like when I was younger, my coping mechanism was to isolate myself and, um, and to, to, to deal with my own feelings on my own and then come back as if nothing had happened. Like I was unaffected by it. Yeah. And that's a bit of like a, a flight response to kind of flee from the situation um, mm-hmm. and then come back once you're regulated. And that can work, you know, in all of our responses, like at the beginning, they're adapt, they're adaptive strategies, right? But at some point they can become maladaptive because as a little child, you need an adult to invite you back and address what was bothering you it's definitely good for ourselves to walk away and to regulate and then to come back but we need to learn at some point to talk repair. through repair exactly mm-hmm. why did we leave as opposed to leave because then you leave that unprocessed um but all children have different responses i mean and one of my favorite um professionals who i follow margaret blaustein she says, as adults, we have to be emotional detectives. So when a child acts out or is aggressive, they're expressing a need. You know, that could be their trigger response, right? I'm going to get louder than you so that you can hear me. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, um, make a tantrum because I need to be soothed. And it's not because they're trying to be difficult or challenging for us as the adults in the room. So... And when somebody runs off 
it's like, okay. I mean, it doesn't mean we're supposed to chase them, right? But when they come back to say, oh, I saw you. Oh, I noticed that. When you're ready, I'm here to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen for some parents, which is very challenging for some personalities actually, is to deal with that pain, deal, to deal with that child who's having a tantrum and they have absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, they're not sure what their child needs. They're actually feeling shame in that moment because it could be in a public space and other people are looking on them and, and instantly they want to go to control. Let's get control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's challenging when, when parents don't have that conscious awareness of, okay, what's my child communicating right now? What's, um, the de- and- what's the detective work I have to do here? Yeah. And it also relates back to their own childhood, mm-hmm. right? And they might, you know, respond very differently than how their parents responded um, or feel, I would have never done that as a child or this is what really didn't work for me when I was little and get stuck in those kind of um, going to the opposite end of the spectrum places, right? Yeah, yeah. Another thing which I think is really interesting about triggers and responses um, is, you know, it gets stored in the body. It also gets stored in time and in our development. So Mm -hmm. parents can feel triggered when their children are at a specific developmental age. If they went through some type of trauma or incident when they were that age. Oh, I agree with that 100%. I find it very challenging to work with ages 7 to about 13. Those are the ages that are very challenging for me because I went through a lot of trauma during that time in my life and didn't have the proper tools to to, to help myself to, to help to help myself. So when I hear a teen or a tween expressing themselves in ways that I can't help, especially when it was my own son at that time when Theodore was younger, I found that age very challenging. Now it's different because I have a lot more, lot more tools. Mm-hmm. But when Theodore was younger, it was a challenging time for me. I actually didn't like him that much <laughs> because I just didn't know how to deal with my right. own. Because you probably didn't like yourself at that age, right? Right. That's, um, that's, that's how it happens. Um, and once we do the work with our inner, the inner tween or the inner Mm -hmm. teenager, the inner child, and we repair it, then we're not so triggered by, by other children when they're that age. So you've done that work since then. So it's not so, um, it's not so hard, but I mean, I have worked with parents who've had very specific traumas, like maybe a sexual abuse or an assault or something, a death. And when their child reaches that age, they'll notice that they're extra anxious around, you know, the protection of their child or mm-hmm. different life events. So it's, um, yeah, it's very interesting how we, we store things in our development. Yes, I agree with you. I'm, I'll never forget, I had a client at my daycare and it was the first time I actually realized the, the, the power of um, post-traumatic stress. Uh, so father, he got hit by a car when he was a very young child and his son, 14 months, just starts walking. He's got new boots, winter gear, and he's just powerhouse walking through the snow. 
So for me, when a child wants to walk, we're all for it. So we decided we were going to go for a walk to the park and I had the stroller, but I also allowed this child to walk. And I took pictures of him walking to say, look at him, like, this is amazing how he's just gung ho. So I sent pictures to mom and dad and I said to him, you know, he's probably going to have sore legs tonight. You might want to do a warm bath, rub him down with some cream. It's just no more, no more growing pains. But the response that I received when they picked him up was, and this is on sidewalks. So in Montreal, most sidewalks are, have space for pedestrians, but then there's cars usually parked beside the, 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 the sidewalk. And then there's the actual road for cars to, to pass. So their response was, he's walking on the sidewalk by himself. He's going to get hit by a car. And I'm like, uh, no, because one, there's a snowbank. There's the car that's parked on the road beside the sidewalk. There's the sidewalk. And there's also, hello, me there with the children on the sidewalk. But it was this immediate response. He's going to get hit by a car. There's a car. I've seen cars go over sidewalks all the time and hit people is like, whoa, just relax. And I had done an assessment prior to, and I knew mom is a six on the Enneagram. Six moms make the greatest moms, but they worry like mad, like ridiculous narratives in their, in their head. So I realized that that's what I was competing against. A post-traumatic stress from father, worry, worry a lot, mom, what can I do? All I could do was, to stand in my professional ground of it's okay. He was safe. He was, he was um, accompanied, you know, he was, he's, he's capable of walking and long story short, they took the, the child out of my care. They took the child out of the daycare because I sent them pictures of him walking on the sidewalk. And I was like, you know what, you have to take him out because there's nothing that I can do to soothe you. You have to re you have to heal from this trauma that you've had. Mm -hmm. um so there's there's not much that I can do and sometimes th this is what you know people teachers educators have to do is just let parents be with their own issue because we can't solve it for them one of the things I've learned is that parents usually parent by the way they were parented or the way they didn't they didn't want to be parented so like you were saying earlier they'll go to these extremes mm -hmm. and unless you're taking being conscious and, and learning about child development and learning about your past and healing yourself, you're going to navigate towards either the way you were parented or the way you didn't like the way you were parented. Right. To parent your child. Yeah. And some parents are going to be open to asking, you know, am I being overprotective? Am I, am I helicoptering? You know, oh. and and interested in wanting to go, and other people will will not have that kind of uh, bird's eye view of themselves to mm -hmm. be able to watch themselves. You know, and say, no, no, this is dangerous. No, no, that's dangerous. And there's a lot of things that are dangerous for children, but stopping a child from developing and walking and getting dirty, um, you know, has other other ramifications, and it's it is hard. It's I've been in, as a family therapist too. Sometimes people have taken their family out of my care because it wasn't 
because what I was recommending didn't fit for them. And you're right that it's kind of a benefit to the professional as well, because how can you, if that's your approach and your way of working with him, you don't want to question what you're doing or to do something that's against, you know, how you think children should develop. But if he's there trucking along and super happy that he's walking, yes, you don't want to curb that. And they have to, as you said, they have to heal that comfort with themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's challenging to do, especially if you're like, you're unaware. I, we had talked about this earlier because um, you had mentioned that you, you do energy healing. And I, I just recently got turned on to energy healing because I, you know, there's not, not always do we, can we talk about what happened? Sometimes there's no words to go back into the past and find out what's going on. Sometimes you just have to find ways to scan your body and to, or or ask people to help you to scan your body. Um, One of my friends, Yvette Guy in Ottawa, she does energy healing through etheric repair. And I have to say it was the most powerful energy healing that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, And I'm actually hoping and praying that Yvette will be here on a future podcast because her technique is quite unique and extremely powerful. And I'll, I'll give you more information about where you can find her um, in, the, in, a, in a little briefing afterwards. Yeah, I, I don't offer energy healing, but I go see an energy healer mm-hmm. um, because having done so much talk therapy, sometimes my brain can trick its way out of a conversation or can talk for an hour about things that don't really get to the root of the problem. Yeah. And I like, you know, um, yeah, somebody who can work at a different at a different approach. Um, I do work a lot for body though, and doing a body scan is something I found really helpful because we have to go slowly with people when they're feeling triggered, um, when they're yeah. feeling um, activated is another word, um, and often what's most helpful is for me to be able to mirror and reflect back what's happening in front of me, to be able to name it and to clarify it as opposed to finding the plan for what to do about it. Mm. Um, Cause they're in that moment, let's say I've had a 15 a year old in the office with me who had gone through a series of very stressful events and they were, not answering my questions they were not talking um and at one point I said it it looks to me like you're dissociating in our session today it's like you're here but you're not here you're you're in your thoughts and you're spacing out because there's a lot that's going on I just want to let you know I see it and I don't think that you're being resistant or difficult with me because a lot of adults in their life would say, why aren't you answering? Why are you being so rude? Why are you mm-hmm. not, you know, participating? And I said, I recognize this is a trauma response. You're, you know, and that's a freeze response. Um, we talked before about the flight response to run away and hide. The freeze response is when you're there and you freeze out into another world. And it helped this teenager come back into the room with me. And just nod and acknowledge, yeah, that is what's happened. I don't have the words for it. You have the words for it. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, um, the answer to what do you do when you feel that way is going to take many, many more sessions. But they were able to go to other professionals and to their mom and say, sometimes I dissociate when I'm overwhelmed and this is what it looks like and kind of started doing some trauma-informed education with the adult. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm not trying to ice you out or stonewall you or ignore you. I'm not capable of answering. I'm not capable of finding words. Mm -hmm. So it's really helpful when we can even say, oh, I am activated in this way. First step of just being able to acknowledge what is happening. Mm -hmm. This brings me back to a client that I used to have a long time ago when I lived in Il Peru. And she, her and her husband always, they, they shared this story with me multiple times where um, the wife, when she was triggered or upset and couldn't manage her emotions, and often it was rage, she would go out into the backyard with the broom and just start banging a tree. Like, she, <laughs> I remember the, the husband, he said, I've, I've bought three brooms already. Like, <laughs> and that was her response. Like, she needed to get, it was rage. And she's like, Lorraine, I just can't put words to it. I just need to get out. And I, I get that because there's for me, it's like dance. If I don't get to dance for a while, there's a part of me that I just need to dance. I will dance anywhere. I just need to get it out. So there's like different ways people get their emotions out consciously or subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I wish we and, taught it yeah. more, uh, yeah. more intentionally. You know, I've had so many parents bring children to me and say, oh, little... Arthur, you know, he gets super upset and he doesn't know how to control his anger. And sometimes I'll say, okay, let's all, all of us in the room, let's think about something that makes us feel anger or rage and what makes us feel better. And the parents often really struggle to answer that question. And I always have my examples ready because I, you know, I'm, I like to model. And I say, right. it's, it took me a long time to figure out, you know, when I, get really angry because something feels unjust you know something is not fair for somebody um that makes me have a lot of anger um I need to do something very intensely physical whether I am you know doing some yoga and I'm sweating or I'm going to um and I'm doing a boxing class or Mm -hmm. if I need to scream and hit something safe or when I was an actress and I was doing theater to act out rage in a scene, you know, to have the monologues or the words and to put all of my rage into that creative expression or physical expression. But it, it takes time to learn about what works for us and to give ourselves permission to practice. You yeah. Know? And I think rage is such a scary feeling for a lot of people um, and often the response I get from some parents is, I never get angry. Oh, God, I've heard that so many times. I, I just, never get angry. I just I never breathe. raise my voice. I just breathe. <laughs> I just breathe and do meditation. Breathing is wonderful for people, and meditation is wonderful for people. But when you want to smash something in your hands, it might not be the one's gonna have something different yes. right I mean sometimes I like music for some emotions I like art for other emotions mm-hmm. I like you know something physical but um 
they don't all fit and some and everyone's a bit different but I always Mm -hmm. I always try to encourage parents don't ask your children to do something that you struggle doing or learn it together this is an opportunity to model you know what I'm really angry right now I need to go outside and yell or I need to do go into the garage and take my drum and bang on my drums so Mm. The children are learning, hey, mom and dad also get really angry and they have strategies for when they're angry. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to say you're angry. That's not dangerous. But pretending like you're fine and avoiding it, it comes up and nobody names this anger. That's where things get a little bit more. Yes. Dangerous. Dangerous. I, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, like rage. Is, is talked about. I, it's, I have to say that we talk about rage, we talk about anger, but you know what emotions that I feel that we need to talk about more? It's like jealousy and envy mm. because there's a lot of shame attached to feeling those. Like anger, you, people can forgive people for being anger, angry, but it's difficult to, to say I'm feeling jealous of that person and not for that person not to be, be aware of the other person. Oh, they're jealous of me. Maybe I shouldn't hang out with them. I want to. I want to be able to make normalize that. Mm. It's it's okay to feel jealousy and envy towards the people you're close to. These are normal emotions. Ah, uh, but we don't. Yeah. yeah. No, this really excites me um, because <laughs> I just did a workshop with a high school, um, grade nine, age 15, uh, 14, and talked about the difference between emotions and actions. And mm. jealousy and envy came up there, where if you're acting out of jealousy, that can be manipulative. That can even in yeah. some places become controlling or abusive. Yes. But experiencing the feeling of jealousy is not inherently wrong. It's a very right. normal feeling to have. And it was really beautiful to unpack with these um, with mm. these youth. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you explain the difference? It's like, well, you know, if you're stuck at home and you have to do all this extra setting and all of your friends are out bowling, you can feel envious and jealous of them and say, oh, I'm really sad. I can't go with you. You know, sometimes it feels really unfair and they want to exp- figure out what makes them feel better if they can express that jealousy. But if they say, well, if you go and you don't take me with you, then I'm not going to be your friend anymore when it becomes a behavior that's manipulative, right? That's where it can be a bit more unhealthy. But if we normalize the feeling first, it doesn't have to get to that second stage of being enacted. Yes. And that takes such a healthy and honest heart to, to talk about that because I find, and actions based off of envy and jealousy can be so subtle and if that people are not being honest with their with their intention, you can't it can be manipulative, like you said. And it can also force the other person who's feeling that to to challenge to to question themselves, like this doesn't feel right, but the other person's saying it is, but I feel like something's going on. And that's where it's really important to tap into your own intuition mm-hmm. and ask ask questions. Like, how does this make you feel? You know, be that detective. Um, yeah. Yeah. Be that detective. But it does take like, uh, like you were talking that observant view, that higher vibrational being to, to be there. And it's challenging when you're in the moment to do that, especially with people that you love. 
I find it very easy to do with clients, mm. but when it's my own family, it's a whole nother ball game. I have to Always. really have to pay attention to what's going on with inside of me. Always. It's so much easier when it's, <laughs> when it's out because, because your clients are outside of you. Yeah. And you have that bird's eye view and your family the part of them exists inside of you. So it, it's something to cultivate, to, to practice, being able to detach and observe yourself. And I think it, it helps when, um, you know, parents are often doing that with their children quite naturally saying, oh, I want you to learn from what I went through or I see what you're doing. And I think if a parent says, mm, I wonder if you're experiencing a, a feeling of envy of your friend right now. And the way you're behaving, you know, your behavior might might be seen as hurtful from them, but your feeling is okay. And when we can see it as an adult from the outside or a, a bigger person, mm-hmm. to help them um, separate those two things, the feeling is is totally fine. And your behavior is telling me as the adult what your feeling is, right? And that mm. because that's what children do, right? And that's what adults do, potentially. All of our behaviors is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And we have to be detective. Okay, I see you're acting in this way, but what you really mean underneath is this. And we have to practice that in other people, but also in ourselves, right? When I'm feeling yeah. jealous, what's really coming up for me? When I say to somebody, okay, you know, and we, we get a little manipulative in some way, say, hmm, ooh, I'm learning something about myself. I'm I'm actually feeling kind of triggered or a feeling that I don't like in yeah. this moment. We're not, we don't like feeling jealousy. It doesn't feel good to experience. No. It, and it doesn't feel good to talk about it because there's this, there's just this, there's a shame. Like there's, shame. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of shame I think to do with jealousy and envy and then we just don't talk about it. And for some people like my personality type, you know, the feeling personalities in, um, in the Enneagram, the, the two, the three, and the fours, we feel a lot of shame for mm. the way that we feel, especially when it's against another person or because of another person or because of an, a certain activity or event. And it's, it's just something that we, I just haven't learned yet to process. Like, I'm glad I have, I'm so thankful I have friends like you and family members that I can have these conversations with, but it's, it took a long time. It takes for me to, yeah, yeah, it takes time too. (laughs) I mean, I experience it, not necessarily a specific person, but, um, life, Mm. life events. And I mean, social media has been a real, um, testament to that, you know, oh, so-and-so got married, so-and-so just had their baby. These, these people are on the beach and you start feeling envious of other people's lives through this kind of people yeah and working through but I'm happy for my friend to be on their second child even though I've been struggling with you know conceiving but there's a part of me that's that does have envy that's painful but I have too much shame to talk about it Mm -hmm. it's a lot to unpack and we as a culture and as a society too, we don't necessarily open up, you know, to each other 
and say yeah and it's, sometimes it's done in like joking jokingly ways but not mm-hmm. you yeah. know like I was joking you earlier about you going to Cuba and I'm like take me with you and I, I actually really meant it like <laughs> and and I acknowledged it and I said I really want to yeah you know, because I because because I, I I think everybody right now needs some vitamin D and yeah. those hits and and I do hear you know sometimes uh, a friend yeah, you really need it. Mm-hmm. Like I really need it too, and and to be like, yeah, you know what you do. Everybody does, and um, how can you prioritize it in the way that you know I'm trying to prioritize it, or mm-hmm. or, or how can we make that uncomfortable feeling okay? That it's all right to feel a bit jealous right there. You can be happy for someone and sad for yourself. You can have two feelings at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> multiple, multiple. Multiple, even more than yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's why I love the Enneagram so much because understanding where it's coming from makes a big deal. For me, I know a lot of the jealousy and envy comes to do with my pride. Like, I think that I should have this by now and I don't. And that person does. And I feel jealous and envy because I want that myself. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ego, a lot of pride, where some people will feel jealousy because of the lack of. Like I, yeah, I've too. never, I've never had that before. Right. I've never had experienced that before. I really would love that, you know. And it's, and it's not even. So yeah, there's. Just and if you took to look this, these, these words, these emotions, and you almost let it be. A, a little character, a little role, a little person, a little part of yourself and say, what is this part trying to bring me? How is it trying to help me? Mm. Because it wants me to, f- it, it wants my life to feel more rich. It wants me to have this experience. You know, our, our jealousy can actually teach us something and can, can bring us a gift you know, and say, oh, I, I, I do want to start prioritizing those things. I do want to experience things I've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Or I do want to push myself to have goals to work towards so that that pride is not a negative thing. It's a goal. Goals are important for us. Yeah. And yeah. if we listen to, oh, what is my jealousy bringing up for me? It can actually serve as a very powerful healing tool if we can listen to it, as opposed to if yes. we reject it, then we're in conflict with it and it comes out an ugly way. Yeah. But if we sit down and we welcome it into our arms, it can actually be a really beautiful conversation we have with it. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for more information about energy healing by Yvette Guy, her email address is T-R-I-H-E-A-R-T C at yahoo.com that's try heart c at yahoo.com t-r-i-h-e-a-r-t-c at yahoo.com and um she was very specific about not sharing anything about what you're looking for in the email in regards to going into details um obviously you're going to mention that you're looking for energy healing and you can say that you received the information here on the Star Parent Podcast, but not to share anything uh, personal. Um, and she will guide you through that process. I wish you all the best. Let's go back to Anne. Hmm. 
that what came up when you were sharing with me, I resonated so much is when parents are actually jealous of their children. Mm. That is a really great conversation to have with yourself. You know, there's a lot of parents that grew up without and their children have so much now. There's this like, I didn't have that when I was a child. I wasn't able to do that when I was a child. And there are parents who actually are jealous of their children, but there's no safe place to talk about that because right. it's, it's healthy. It's healthy to look back onto your childhood and, and feel sad sometimes sure. about some of the things that you didn't have or wanted. And, and as like a family therapist, if I had someone in my office who was sharing that with me, I would ask them, how can you give that to yourself now? You're so generous with your child. You make sure that they have everything they want and they need. Can you kind of give yourself some of the things you needed and it can kind of time travel with you? You know, it's like, I, I never got to do this when I was a kid. Can you experience that? Can you take your inner child with you yes. and your your physical child and do it together where you're able to parent both, both of them? Yes. Uh, oh, gosh, absolutely. For me, what came up for that, I'm going to share one more time, um, is tap dancing. I remember when Peter was younger, I really wanted to get into tap dancing because I was a tap dancer younger, but I had a very strict teacher that I didn't necessarily like. She was actually quite abusive. Mm-hmm. And um, that was traumatic for me, but I really loved dance. And I realized Cedar just he's not a tap dancer. He never liked it. He's a skateboarder and he's amazing at it. So I started taking tap le- classes again maybe about four or five years ago I started and I still do it now and I love it and so I'm when I'm tapping I see that sparrows in it so I got him some tap shoes and I bring him with me to my classes and he loves it and it's not that I want he can do whatever he wants I just got him the shoes so he can hear himself I'm not going to push it because it's me it's me that loves tap yeah and I and I love having a great teacher and I have great teachers so I I created that place for me now as an adult that I didn't have when I was younger. And at the same time, I'm, I'm still sharing it with my son, my youngest. And if yeah. he likes it, no problem. And if he doesn't, no worries. But for now, it's super cute to have an 18-month-old in tap shoes, I have to say. Of course, I, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But what a, what a great learning for you to say, mm, I'm trying to live vicariously through my son. Yes! He's not into it. Hey, light bulb what if I just did, I actually want to do this for me. (laughs) And then there was no longer that need to control or to push that on him. You got your needs met. He got his needs met. And then, you know, your, your younger one, he wants to do it because he wants (laughs) to do it. And you have no, um, like buy-in like that's needed. You're, you're enjoying it for yourself. So that's so wonderful. I think, you know, a lot of parents can learn, it's easier said than done. You know, we're talking about these revelations that take us a lifetime to figure out. But <laughs> if there's something you feel like you really want your child to do, maybe you, a part of you wants to do it. And can that be okay? Can you also have an a, activity, an extracurricular activity that's playful after your nine to five? Well, why not? Yeah, you know, that might absolutely. be the one thing that really helps you regulate when you're feeling triggered in different ways. Mm. Oh, yeah. And it's like that walk home or that drive home can give you that moment of space and clarity where you can process those heavy emotions that you weren't able to process before, before that release. Golden, golden, golden. So golden. And Celeste, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. It 
bring so much richness to the podcast. It was wonderful that we naturally found a path to talking a bit more comfortable about jealousy, you know, because I feel very comfortable with that part of me, um, but after a lot of work with it and yeah, I really welcome parents and, and I actually, it's one of the emotions that I teach very early on to children, you know, to normalize, oh, you so-and-so has something that you want and you don't have and you feel jealousy. So it's great Mm. to be able to just name it, name it, take its power and befriend it and see what it, what it's trying to teach us. So thank you so much for listening. It's a wonderful day. And Celeste, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. I ask everybody, what does spiritual parenting mean to you? Because whatever it is, just seek it, ask for it, and do whatever it takes to make you shine. If you haven't found us already, find us and follow us on social media. We'll be happy to hear your comments and suggestions. Have a great day.